Good morning. We're glad you're here. Welcome to our service this morning. We're continuing our study of the book of Romans. And this is a foundational book of the Bible, and there's a lot to take in. So I hope you've been gaining a deeper picture of the gospel. The gospel is the redeeming, restoring work of God in this broken world. And we've seen the extent of sin. We've seen our need for the gospel, as well as God's gift of grace, his great and glorious grace in Jesus Christ. And today we'll look at chapter 6, where the author Paul begins to make a shift. In the beginning of the book of Romans, there's a lot of theology. And at the end of Romans, there's a lot of practical things to do. And we're in the middle, the bridge, the part that kind of connects our understanding with our behavior. What do we need to really grasp? And then what do we do about it? How do we live because we have been declared righteous? We've given, been given peace with God. We've been moved from the reign of sin and death to the reign of grace. What has changed? And what do we do now? The first thing to change in chapter 6 is what is our relationship to sin now? Of course, we didn't just stop sinning when we became Christians. So how do we move from the, from the reign of sin to the reign of grace? How do we make that shift? Chapter 5 ended with this. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, who is Adam, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, and that's Jesus, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Romans 6 continues that train of thought. There's not really a break. He's just continuing to talk about that same topic. And in verse 1 he says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through, the bap through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, 
because you are not under the law, but under grace. Don't worry if that sounded a little confusing. There's a lot of repetition and restating the key ideas. If you paid attention while I read the passage, or even if you look at it now and skim those verses, you'll see that there's a lot of death, died, and dead. And this repetition gives us a clue to what's important here. Jesus died. We died with him. We were crucified with him. And we are dead to sin. But what does that mean, practically speaking, that we're dead to sin? Paul begins this section with a question because he knows his critics are thinking this. They would ask, aren't you just giving people permission to keep on sinning because of grace? And this question is relevant for us, for us today, because we keep, keep on sinning because of grace. We take sin lightly. We ignore it. We deny it. We blame it on other people. We see the sinful, broken world we live in, but we don't see our own sin quite as much. We think God loves us and accepts us. It's not that big a deal. Jesus took care of it. We're loved, we're forgiven, we're accepted. Why not just keep sinning and doing whatever we want? You might feel guilty when you do wrong or you hurt others, but not guilty enough to really do anything about it. You might wince a little when you notice your envy of others on social media, or when you view explicit sites or post mean things online, or when you get angry and yell at your kids, or gossip on Zoom or with your friends, or you lie or cheat or give in to greed or lust or resentment, little things like that. But, you know, oh well, we're forgiven. God forgives us. Thank God for that. But Paul says, with all the righteous indignation he could muster, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And what Paul is saying is this. We are dead to sin. We don't live there anymore. And if you understand this, you can't continue to let sin slide in your life. We are dead to sin. We don't live there anymore. We are tempted and we do sin, but we can't just let it go. And this is a key issue in Romans 6. I've relocated, I've moved three times in my life. I grew up in LA, in central LA. And then after I got married, I moved to San Diego. And then we moved to West Covina, where my kids grew up. And then I moved to Cyprus, when I became a pastor here at CBC. And that last change is one that's felt most different to me. When I moved from West Covina to Cyprus, it was two different neighborhoods. For one thing, West Covina is much more diverse. When I moved here, there were so many Asian Americans, I would think I knew people, and I would look around, and I didn't know any of them, because there's so many of them. West Covina is also much more dense. It's an older city, the streets are narrower, the lots are smaller, there's just more people. And one of my habits when I lived in West Covina was that I did everything I could to avoid shopping on Saturday afternoon, either at the mall or the grocery store or anywhere, because usually it was just so busy. Traffic was busy, the parking lots were busy, it's hard to find a parking space. 
the stores were busy. There were a lot of people and long lines. And, you know, I don't like being in those big crowds with long lines and, and waiting and waiting. So I didn't go shopping on Saturday afternoons. And when I moved here, that continued for probably at least a year. And one Saturday afternoon, I had to get something, and I went to the mall. And it was a little busy, but not unbearably busy. And I realized, oh, it's different here. I can go shopping on weekend afternoons. And then, of course, in West Covina, it's hotter. It's in the foothills, so the weather is more extreme. In West Covina, when you say it's going to be really hot, that means high 90s, maybe hundreds. Here, when you say it's going to be really hot, it's mid-80s, high 80s. And really, you can go outside and do stuff when it's in the 80s. When it was in West Covina and it's, we said it was going to be really hot, we tried to stay somewhere where there is air conditioning. But moving from one neighborhood like West Covina to another neighborhood like Cyprus and the Cerritos area means that there are changes in little ways, adjustments we make. If you move from the East Coast or from Hawaii or from another country, there are even bigger changes and adjustments. When we move from one country or neighborhood to another, the change in location means a change in environment or outlook in our habits and the things we do. And this is significant for how we view sin. Sin isn't just a wrong action or a wrong thing we do. Last week, Pastor Nick said that in the gospel story, sin is the villain. And Paul gives us this idea that sin is an entity, a thing. It's a villain or a realm, a place that we live. And becoming a Christian is like relocating to a new realm with a new ruler or king or master. And you can see this bigger idea of sin over and over in Romans 6. In verse 2, it says, We have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And there's that idea of place. In verse 6, we should no longer be slaves to sin. There's the idea of master or villain. Verse 12, do not let sin reign in your body. Sin is a thing that can take over. And verse 14, sin shall no longer be your master. There's that idea of master. Sin is an entity, a place. It's a villain or a master. It's the wrong things we do or neglect to do, but it's also bigger than that. It can be an evil master and a realm, a neighborhood where we make our home. And we used to live in the realm of sin, where sin was master. Sin was in charge. But when we believe in Jesus, we don't live there anymore. We have moved our home to the kingdom where Jesus is king, to a new realm, grace, under a new king, King Jesus. And we reject the realm of sin the reign of sin, the master sin. But the problem for many of us is that you might not realize that you've moved. You might feel like you still live in the realm of sin, enslaved to sin, unable to resist the temptation to sin. And that's because there are old habits, old patterns that you still keep up with. I can live in Cyprus and act like I still live in West Covina, avoiding the traffic on the weekends, avoiding the heat and not going outdoors, unaware that it's different now. And if you move from Hawaii 
to California, you might look back fondly and wish you were still there. And when you move from the reign of sin, it doesn't mean you just forget sin or that you don't have any desire for sin anymore. It does mean you don't live there anymore. And you have the freedom to not sin, to change how you live. So how does that change happen? Jesus came, and when we believed in Jesus, we were changed and made new. Romans 6 continues in verses 3 to 7, and it says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Jesus was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. When you believed in Jesus by faith, with Jesus, your old self died, and you rose again as a new person, made new. In the New Testament church, someone who believed in Jesus also publicly proclaimed it in baptism. So a faith decision and baptism were synonymous in the early church. If you haven't been baptized, that's something to consider. But the word baptized means immersed, as in immersed in the water. And when you believe in Jesus, you are immersed with him, in a relationship with him, in a new life with him. We saw in chapter 5 that sin entered the world and everyone in it through Adam. In chapter 5, verse 19 says, For just as through the disobedience of the one man, and that's Adam, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. See, before, because of Adam, we were sinners, and what was true of Adam was true of us. But God didn't leave us there as sinners. When Jesus came, we changed. Everything changed. And what was true of Jesus is true of us. We are made righteous with Jesus in Jesus, with him, when we choose faith. We are immersed with Jesus, united with him, buried, dead, and risen with him. And now with Christ, we are made righteous, set free from sin, in the reign of grace with Jesus. See, when you believe in Jesus, you enter the redeeming, restoring work, the story of God, and his people. This is the gospel story, the work that God has been doing since the early pages of Genesis, redeeming and restoring this broken world, restoring it in his love. The gospel is not that you believe and grit your teeth and do your best until you die and go to heaven. The gospel is that Jesus came. He came into our world to set us free from sin and death. We have been redeemed. We are restored because of Jesus. And when we choose faith in Jesus and we're baptized with him, we were set free. By faith, we are changed. We are made alive in Christ. It's who we are now. 
That's our identity. The old self is gone. We are made alive in Christ. That's who we are now. In Christ, we are dead to sin. We don't live there anymore. And we are made alive with him. It's who we are now. And if you believe in Jesus, you are a new person with new life in Christ. And that means you have the freedom to live the full, abundant, joyous, generous, satisfying life that God created you to live. We are set free from the power of sin. And we reject the reign of sin. And that's how you need to think of yourself. That's what you need to believe about yourself. Sin is not your master. It might be a huge shift in thinking for some of you because you might think of yourself as a sinner saved by grace or as not good enough or as not there yet. But that's not who you are. The old patterns of thinking, the old patterns and habits might make you believe you can't do it. But in Christ, you are new and alive. It's who you are now. Believe it. One of my favorite people in the world is my niece, Susan. And she was married eight years ago, and I helped her with her wedding. And her wedding favors were these little buttons. And at that time, buttons were very trendy. And on each button, they printed a descriptive word for each person. It was personalized, individualized, and it was a lot of work. And I was very impressed. But I still have that button because, for me, it changed how I thought about myself. Here's a picture of my button. The word on my button was create. That was the word they gave me, how they thought of me, create. And it surprised me. I had never thought of myself as creative before. The idea of creativity kind of intimidated me. But Susan and I had done crafts before. We had done, worked on her wedding invitation and her decorations together, and she saw me as creative. It surprised me, and it delighted me, and it changed how I thought about myself. Having someone say it out loud gave me new confidence to think, maybe I am creative. And I started to choose fabrics and put fabrics and colors together for my quilts. And then I even started to give advice to the other quilters and tell them, what they should do and how they should put their fabrics together. And I was even more surprised that they liked my ideas and they thought I was good at it. I even got braver about my clothing choices and decorating my home and choosing things that might look odd to others but that I liked. Believing that I was creative, having one person tell me it and believing it, changed how I saw myself and what I did. And how you think of yourself can change what you do. You are dead to sin, alive in Christ. That's who you are. Believe it. When you think of yourself that way, it can change your sense of confidence, your power and strength against sin, your ability to make choices and resist temptation. I told you that in Romans 6, the word death is repeated over and over because that's a main idea. And a second word that's repeated over and over is the word no. Because knowing that, knowing we are dead to sin, is critical. How we think about ourselves matters. Romans 6 tells us in verse 3, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Verse 6, 
For we know that our old self was crucified with him. Verse 8, we believe that we will also live with him. Verse 9, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead. And verse 11, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Do you know that? Really believe it? In verse 11, we're told to count ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. And that word count means to reckon or to calculate or take a close look and align our thinking with reality. It's a stronger word than consider or think. It's to know it. As a Christian, you are dead to sin and alive to Christ. That's the truth. So believe it. Know it. And when you do, you will grow to live with the confidence, power, and strength that is yours in Christ. Verses 11 to 14 says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, therefore, because of what you know, therefore you can do these things. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Know this and then do it. We are dead to sin, made alive in Christ. It's who you are now. Sin is not your master. See, if you think of yourself as a sinner, as a resident of the reign of sin, under the power of sin, unable to do anything other than sin, you will let sin reign if you think of yourself like that. But that's not who you are. Think of yourself as alive in Christ, as a resident of the kingdom where Jesus is king, with the power and strength of Jesus, his power available to you. You can face temptation with confidence. You have the power and strength to not sin. That's who you are. You are free to not sin. And in Christ, you can do that. You have the confidence, strength, and power to be alive with Christ. You do still have your old habits and patterns. So you are still tempted, and you do still sin. And you will have to make new habits and new patterns. Some of you will need additional help. If your patterns come from addictions or physiological issues, you might need therapy, medication, accountability, other help. Some of those patterns are deeply ingrained. But most of you can develop new habits and patterns in Christ. As you count yourself dead to sin, you can begin to recognize sin and to hesitate when you sin. And it's in that hesitation, that pause, that you have space to think about it, to make a different choice, to turn away from sin. When you pause and think about who you are, you will see that you are free to make a different choice, that sin really is not your master. You have the power to reject sin and choose grace. And every time you do, you develop new muscles, new strength, 
new habits and patterns. Sin is not your master. You are free to not sin. And you have the power to look temptation in the eye and say, go away, sin. You are not my master. I reject you. Go away. Here's a scenario that has happened many times in my relationships with friends, coworkers, family. See if it sounds familiar to you. I'm talking with that person. Things are going along fine, and then someone says something that's not quite right, maybe the wrong words, maybe the wrong tone of voice. Someone says something in the wrong way. And then there's kind of a conflict. Maybe a disagreement develops, and things aren't really resolved. It's just an odd feeling. And we come away from the conversation knowing that things are not quite right. And that can easily happen. But what happens next for you? What used to happen a lot for me is that I would go home and replay the conversation in my mind over and over, and I would start to think, why did she say that? Why did she say it that way? She kind of twisted things. I should have said this. I should have explained this. It's her fault. She got it all wrong. And then maybe the next time I see her, I, somebody makes some passive-aggressive remarks, and things continue to get worse, and eventually the relationship ends. And I think that was her fault. She shouldn't have done that. And that can easily happen. The original conversation was not sin. But in the words of Romans 6, I offered myself to sin. I let sin reign. I let myself go to blame and, and wrong thinking and wrong behavior. I let sin be the master over my thoughts and behavior. Here's a better scenario that I want to happen more and more in my relationships. When I start to replay that initial conversation in my head, and I start to think about blaming the other person, I can stop that train of thought. I can think, oh, I don't live there anymore. That's not who I am. Sin is not my master. And I can pause and think, is there a different way to think about this? I can offer my thoughts, my ideas, my prayers, my actions to God. I can wonder if maybe there was something I said that was wrong or said in the wrong way. I can stop assuming I know what the other person was thinking. I can say a quick prayer for my thinking, for the relationship. I can ask the Spirit to guide my thoughts. And I can even call and apologize or ask questions and try to clarify and clear the air. That's offering myself to God. And we are dead to sin, alive with Christ. Sin is not our master. We don't have to let sin reign and be the master. We can let grace, love, healing, goodness, and the power of the Spirit guide our thoughts. You can say, not now, sin. You can't have this choice, this decision, this relationship. You can't have me. I reject you, sin. You are not my master. I belong to Jesus. In the next few weeks, we'll look more at sin and grace and the power we have to live with freedom and grace, with life, with Jesus. But for now, for this week, here's what I want you to do. Just for this week, 
when you recognize sin, I want you to say this. I don't live there anymore. That's not who I am. Sin is not my master. Okay, so we're going to practice right now. And wherever you are, whether you're at home alone, just say it out loud. Whether you're, if you're with your family or other people, say it together. Okay, so let's say this together. I don't live there anymore. That's not who I am. Sin is not my master. Okay, one more time with confidence this time. I don't live there anymore. That's not who I am. Sin is not my master. Do that this week. And at first, maybe all you can do is recognize sin. Maybe all you can do is to recognize sin and think those words. You might still make the wrong choice. You might still do that selfish thing. But you'll begin to recognize it as sin. You'll begin to pause. And maybe you'll begin to resist temptation this week. Maybe there will be a change. Maybe not. It might take longer. But all I want you to do this week is to say it when you see sin. And over time, you will see change. God has done great things. He's changed you. And he will do great things in your heart, in your mind, in your words, in your behaviors and actions. God will do great things because you are dead to sin and alive in Christ. And you can live with grace and freedom with Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have made us new, that we are changed, and we want to live in that newness. We want to live alive with you. We want to reject sin. And we ask you to help us this week. Help us to see sin. Help us to say and to think, I don't live there anymore. That's not who I am. Sin is not my master. And help us to pause and to make a different choice. Thank you that we have the power and the strength that we can have the confidence of Jesus because Jesus is here and we are with him, alive in him. Thank you for your love and your care and your provision for us. We love you and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.